us from slavery to sin. Now I use that word emancipate purposefully. If you all know the Emancipation Proclamation, which prohibited slavery in America, right? I would say this, Jesus did end slavery. He just didn't do it socially. He did it spiritually. And because he did it spiritually, he expects us to do it culturally. Human trafficking and slavery are horrifically devastating realities in our world. So why didn't Jesus just do away with slavery when he came? Well, as Pastor Daniel shares today, Jesus freed everyone from the bondage of sin. No matter who you are, Jesus made a way for you to have freedom from the consequences of your broken life. And he wants you, who've been spiritually emancipated, to help fix the problems of the world. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in John chapter 4 as he continues his message, Grab Back. Jesus is the best thing that ever happened to women. The sister's are like, uh-huh, yep. Jesus is the best thing that ever happened to women. Now, if we were talking about men's issues, I'd say, and men as well. Jesus is just the best thing that's ever happened to everybody, period. But the reality is, is that Jesus is the best thing that ever happened to women. Now you have to realize, why wasn't one of the gospels written by women? Simply this, in Jesus' culture, in that day, 2,000 years ago, in Israel, a woman couldn't even testify in a court of law. Women could not have admissible testimony in a court of law. Now, I'm not saying that that's the way it should have been. That's just the way that it was. That's just the way that it was. So it would make sense then that one of the reasons we have four gospels is because in almost every culture that out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, every matter would be established. It would make sense that these four gospel accounts would be written by men. Now, we can, if you allow yourself to do this, could you imagine if Jesus was incarnate in this day and age? in 2012, in America, what do you think the chances of one of those gospels being written by a woman is? Probably pretty high because a woman's testimony is the same as a man's testimony. But guess what? It wasn't. Jesus wasn't incarnate in 2012. We're his incarnation today. So because of the cultural ramifications of it, it would make total sense that none of the gospels were written by women. Now, but what's also fascinating is that who was the first person to proclaim the resurrection of the apostles? Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene was the apostle to the apostles of the resurrection. Now, we don't think much about that, but in that day, that was radical. I mean, this was a woman who had demons cast out of her. See, Jesus is the best thing that ever happened to women. Why? Look at every single culture where the gospel of Jesus Christ is not the foundation of the culture and you will see the rights of women completely diminished. 
I mean, we were all shocked after September 11th when we found out that the Taliban, that women weren't allowed to learn how to read and all this stuff. As Westerners, we were shocked, right? And rightfully so. But that is exactly what you have in a culture where the gospel of Jesus Christ is not its foundation. And if you look at the Western, the European countries, you look at the countries like America, where the teaching of the Bible is the foundation, that is why you have women with equal rights. Because that's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus, in his person and work, completely cut the legs out under every sort of ism. Rich and poor are the same. Male and female, the same. Not that they have the exact same roles, but they're both sinners in need of a savior. Equally valuable to God. That's what Jesus does. Jesus levels the playing field on humanity. And not only is death and resurrection, think about how Jesus lived. Listen to John chapter 4, verses 24 to 27. It says this, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. And at this point, verse 27, his disciples came And they marveled that he talked with a woman. Did you ever think about that? When the disciples came, they marveled that Jesus spoke with a woman. Why? Because rabbis didn't speak with women in that day. See, Jesus, completely outside of the mold of his culture, living differently. And what's fascinating is that the very foundation that has given equal rights to both sexes in the West is now currently being maligned for not giving equal rights. It's amazing. I would say this. I would make this case. If you're in here today and you think that the Bible is anti-woman, I would say you haven't done your homework. You haven't really studied or thought through. You're hearing things. You're not putting it into context. You're not seeing it. And I can say that because I did that. As a non-Christian, as somebody who never read the Bible, I'm like, oh, you know, who'd want to, it's such a, so archaic. I mean, men's and women's roles, you know? You know what's interesting about it though? The Bible calls men to be men and women to be women. The way our culture does equal rights for men and women, all they really want is for women to be nasty like men are. I mean, that is the modern feminist movement is let's make women as nasty as men. And you know what? That's not liberation. That's enslavement. I mean, does anybody ever write a poem about a woman who curses like a truck driver? Oh, I love my girl. She can shotgun beers with the best of them. That's not beautiful. I mean, it's ugly enough in a man. It's unbecoming of a woman. See, if you think about it, there's nothing worse than freedom being greater enslavement. It makes no sense. Jesus is the best thing that ever happened to women and to men. We're all valuable in the eyes of God, necessary in God's purposes in the world. Honestly, I challenge you, look at every single culture and look at the rights of women. You'll be like, man, thank God for Jesus. Thank God for Jesus. Now, next question. Why didn't Jesus 
alleviate slavery? It's a great question, isn't it? I would say this. Jesus emancipated us from slavery to sin. Jesus emancipates us from slavery to sin. Now, I use that word emancipate purposefully. If you all know the Emancipation Proclamation, which prohibited slavery in America, right? I would say this. Jesus did end slavery. He just didn't do it socially. He did it spiritually. And because he did it spiritually, he expects us to do it culturally. Amen. Listen to Romans chapter 6, verses 17 to 23. Look at what it says. But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. What fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now, having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Now, think about this. The first thing we have to realize is that slavery in Jesus' day is different from when we think of slavery. That's the first thing. Because in a lot of ways, the slavery that's talked about in the Bible was different from what we consider African slavery. In a lot of ways, most of us have some sort of payment that we're, you know, you have rent. Everybody has a payment of some sort. You have an electricity bill, you have this bill. Or you live in a house with somebody who does, right? Everybody owes something to somebody, right? Now, most of us, if we're really honest, we don't love our jobs, but we do it. Why? Because we got to pay all those bills, right? That's biblical slavery. It wasn't based on kidnapping. It was, this is just how you lived. And some people, they couldn't pay their bills. And so they linked themselves up with somebody who was wealthy and worked for them so they could pay their bills. See, so the biblical version of slavery, especially if you read Exodus 21, if you don't believe me, go read Exodus 21 where kidnapping is illegal. So when we think of slavery in 2012, we link it to African slavery where people were kidnapped against their will, taken to another land and forced into servitude. That's not what was going on in the Bible. But Jesus realizes this. Jesus realizes that rather than dealing with the social ill, he's gonna deal with the human heart. And that as he changes the human heart, that will change the social ill. Jesus focused on the core rather than the manifestation. He focused on the core problem rather than the symptom. And the biggest problem that humanity has is it's slavery to sinfulness. And Jesus died and rose again to break that so that we will then in turn, each one of us will then in turn start to heal the social ills of our day. I have a great example of this. Do you know who was at the forefront of abolishing slavery in England? William Wilberforce. William Wilberforce loved God. It would say he memorized 
the longest chapter in your Bible, Psalm 119. He memorized it, and as he walked from his house to the parliamentary building, he recited all 176 verses of that. That's a solid believer in my book. I mean, it's, we're lucky if we can memorize a verse. He memorized the whole entire 119th Psalm. Now, William Wilberforce, because of his faith in Jesus, decided he was going to devote his entire life, his entire life, to seeing slavery abolished. And guess what? It took his entire life to do it. Over and over and over again, he'd bring Bill before Parliament, shot down. Bill before Parliament, shot down, shot down. And he just didn't quit, didn't quit. In Jesus' name, said, this is wrong. This is a problem. We need to change this. And then eventually, right before the end of his life, they abolished slavery in England. Now, what is also interesting, if you look at American history, there are all sorts of people who loved God who believed that slavery was okay. And if you read church history at all, and I hope that you do, you realize that in every generation of the church, there are strengths and huge blind spots. And my question for us is, in 100 years, what will be the Western church of 2012's big blind spots? It's a good question to ask. When people look back on this generation of faith in America, what will be the, I can't believe they actually believe that. Just the way we look at people who use the Bible to condone African slavery by kidnapping, which we're all like, I can't believe they actually did that. What are our blind spots today? That's what self-reflection is about by the Holy Spirit's grace. To simply say, what are my blind spots? And you know what the problem with blind spots are? We're blinded to them. That's why we call them blind spots. The people who believed in slavery a couple hundred years ago in America would look at it today and be like, I can't believe, what were we thinking? And we need to ask ourselves, what are our blind spots today? That's a good question. That's a good question. I want to say this by way of application. William Wilberforce, I mean, love that example. You know what I really believe? I believe that in this church and in every church, the people of God, God has set us free from our slavery to sin, that we might go be his hands and feet in the world to cure what are very real and important social problems. And I want to encourage all of us as a church to take whatever your passions are and in Jesus' name, be his body in the world. So someone here, you're like, justice for the unborn. I pray that in Jesus' name, you go out and you work for justice for the unborn. And I would say this, don't be just willing to say, I believe in pro-life. I would say, I believe in pro-life. And you know what? If you want to abort your baby, we'll raise your child for you. See, for me, let's put our money where our mouth is. I was amazed when I talked about homosexuality. I said, look, if you're going to tell somebody, which we know that homosexuality is a sin. I did a whole message on this. But if you're going to tell someone they can't have a family, then you should take them in your house. And I was offended at some of the texts that I got. I was straight up, I was like, wow. People were like, oh, you're going to take a homosexual into your home? Good luck. I thought to myself, how far from the heart of Jesus can this be? I mean, like, it's one thing to say we value life. It's another thing, well, listen, if you're going to abort your baby, let us raise your child. See, we need the body of Christ to be the body of Christ. We need to be on mission for Jesus. If your passion is to get rid of human trafficking which should be a passion of at least all of us, but some of us in earnest. I pray that you get involved in that. It's not enough just to tweet about it. 
It's not just a bit of Facebook status. Let's do something in Jesus' name. Some of you just think, man, children in poverty, we need to change that. And you know what? We need to get involved in that. That Jesus saved us from our slavery to sin so that we'd actually be the hand of feet of Jesus in this world. See, I really believe the reason we have so many problems with government in America today is because the church isn't being the church. People all get mad at big government. We need a big government because the church is sitting on its hands. The Bible says we should feed the poor, but we don't. And so we need the government to do it. And then we all hate our taxes, or some of us do. But it's like, maybe rather than just complaining about everything, let's do something more than just voting. Let's vote and get our hands dirty. If you think big government is bad, then say, big government is bad because we're giving our money to these people. I'm going to figure out how to get these people jobs then. I'll be honest with you. Jesus is greater than the American government. And the church of Jesus Christ has the truth in a book right in front of us. So let's live this thing out. Let's, can you imagine if this church, look at this room, look at all these people. Imagine if all of us decided we're going to get on mission with God. I'm passionate about this thing. I'm going to go do this. Not just complain about it. Not just write emails and sign petitions as much as that's fine. Let's really do something about it. If you think the government's too big, then make it smaller. By we as the church shouldn't need the government to do anything because we should be doing it. We should be fixing these problems in Jesus' name. See, God delivered us from a greater slavery so that we can meet the world at its place of pain in the name of Jesus and bless the world. That's the gospel. That's why we're called the body of Christ. And my prayer, oh, my prayer for all of us is that we would get engaged into that. Get engaged in that vision. Saying, look, it breaks my heart, this thing. We say, let's go do something about it. Say AIDS, like, man, we need to find a way to cure AIDS. Well, there's things that we can get involved in. Rather than saying, what a tragedy. Jesus emancipated ourselves, us, from slavery to sin, that we might help bless the world in Jesus' name. Fix the problems in Jesus' name. And we know it won't be fully fixed. That's why he's going to come back. But until it comes back, we should be at work. And then finally, the last question. I'll take it very quickly. This question was sweet because it came from a seven-year-old that says, it says in the Bible that God loves everyone. Does God even love Satan? How many of you have ever had that question before? It's a great question. It's interesting. This was married in my heart because we sat down to pray before dinner the other day and my daughter Maranatha, who's four, for those of you who've met Maranatha, she's cute as buttons. I like her, you know. She, you know, we bow our hearts to pray and she's like, Lord, will you help Satan not to be so mean? And I thought to myself, man, that's a sweet prayer, you know. So if God loves everyone, does God love Satan? I would say this, God is love and he created Satan gloriously. God is love and he created Satan gloriously. Now, the reality of God being love, that's 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 to 11. That God is love. Okay, you can read it in your own time. Classic passage. So God, in the essence of who he is, is love. Jesus told us that we should love our enemies. So God is love, and God created Satan gloriously. Now, if you read Ezekiel chapter 28, verses 11 to 19, we learn that the person we call Satan 
was Lucifer, who was one of God's created angels. And when Lucifer spread his wings, all of heaven filled with the glory of God. Now, that's what I call some worship leading. You know, it's all, the whole place filled with the glory of God. But Lucifer's struggle was, is that he wanted the glory. He didn't want God to be glorified. He wanted the glory. And so, he decided to try and take the glory, and he fell from his place. Now, you have to realize, Satan is not to God as Dr. Evil is to Austin Powers. So those of you who know Austin Powers, you'll understand. If you don't know, it's okay. We won't hold it against you. It won't keep you out of heaven either. But the reality is, is Satan is not God's evil alter ego. Lucifer was created by God. And when God created everything, God said it's good. But the problem with Lucifer is that Lucifer fell and was given over to evil. So the reality is that does God love Satan? The answer is God loves the being known as Satan, but he hates every part of his evilness. I notice I say the being known as Satan, because Satan just means deceiver or tempter. God loves the being known as Satan, but hates every part of his evilness. And you know what's awesome about that? That's exactly how God is with you and I. God loves you, but he doesn't love everything that you do. And if you've been married at all, if you have a friend, we all know this reality. You love somebody, you just don't love everything that they do. If my wife Lynn was here, she'd say, I love Daniel. Don't always love what he does. That's what love is about. We've heard it said, you love the sinner and you hate the sin. We learn that from God. God loves us, but he hates the sin in our lives. So much so that he would send his son, Jesus, to die on a cross in our place. So I would say, yes, God loves Lucifer, but hates every bit of the evil that he's involved in. And that's the gospel, isn't it? Same for you and I. So the reality for us today with all these different questions are, what does the gospel hold for us in our lives? I believe God loves life, and we should also. The resurrection is a real reality that God sets us free from slavery, that we might set others free. God is the best thing. Jesus is the best thing that's ever happened to all of us. And God loves people who are broken, even Lucifer. Jesus is real. Pastor Daniel wrapped up today's message by reminding you that God loves you, but he doesn't love everything you do. You know what this is like. You love your friends, but you don't like some of their choices. However, because you are precious to the Lord, He sent Jesus to rescue you. It doesn't matter how broken you are, how many bad things you've done, you can always turn to Him and He'll welcome you with open arms. Pastor Daniel's message today is just one of many he shared from a variety of books in the Bible. Would you like to explore more? Just visit JesusIsRealRadio.com to access our library of audio. You can also connect with Pastor Daniel on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram through the links you'll find at the bottom of the page. That website again is JesusIsRealRadio.com. 
Place a marker in your Bibles and join us next time as Pastor Daniel talks about prayer. You'll learn that prayer is a dialogue between you and the Lord, a deeply personal and vulnerable spiritual conversation with God. As you study the components of the Lord's Prayer, you'll discover what your prayers should look like. God wants to have a deep, personal relationship with Him, and prayer is a part of that. Well, that's all the time we have for today's broadcast. On behalf of Pastor Daniel and the entire production team, we invite you to join us again for the next edition of Jesus is Real Radio. 